Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another Fisher Investments Market Insights podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. I'm Naj Srinivas, Group Vice President of Client Communications here at the firm. And today I'm joined by research analyst Seth Grainer. Hello, everyone. So, Seth, you cover the United Kingdom, utilities, and ESG for the firm. ESG, of course, being environmental, social, and governance investing. Let's talk a little bit about the United Kingdom today. What are some of the stories that you're following? Obviously, Brexit is a pretty big one there right now, but what are some of the big topics you're following? Well, I think the topic du jour clearly has to be what's going to happen come March 2019 when the UK leaves the EU. You may have heard words bandied about hard Brexit, soft Brexit, etc. These are all different forms in which the UK might leave the bloc in 2019. And it's really dominating the headlines if uh, you've picked up a newspaper on the topic recently. So just for our listeners who might not be familiar or might not have been following the story in 2016, how did we get here with Brexit? What, what are some of the events that led to where we are today? Sure. So actually, we can probably go back a little bit longer to suggest that sentiment against the EU membership by those in the UK, particularly in the Conservative Party, has been building probably for uh, decades, to be frank. And it came to a head, as you hinted at, in the summer of 2016, when there was a vote uh, amongst the electorate to either leave the EU or remain, as they said. And it was a pretty close race in the end. Uh, Leave won by a margin of about 52 to 48 percent, so pretty split on the topic. Um, And over the last couple years, the two parties, the EU and the UK, have really been negotiating what that arrangement would look like, what the future relationship would look like when the country actually left the EU in 2019. So that's where we get into this idea of soft Brexit versus hard Brexit. What what do those terms mean? Yeah, it depends a little bit on who you ask, but I think the uh, long and the short of it is a soft Brexit, the more ideal of the two scenarios between the two parties, would be an arrangement in which the EU and the UK come to some mutually agreeable arrangement to govern trade, regulation, the rights of citizens living in various places. How about immigration? Absolutely. Immigration, which was really one of the uh, primary drivers of the whole decision to leave by uh, many voters, from many voters' perspectives. So ideally, the two parties would come to some mutually agreeable solution that would limit the impact negatively, particularly in terms of trade and services, Um, across both countries, frankly, or across both areas. Um, So that's kind of the soft Brexit version. It likely includes a longer transition period where activities largely go as they had been historically, and you move slowly towards a more proper um, Brexit, as you will, uh, if you will, and the uh, two parties go on their merry way at some point down the road. So we're sitting here in early October 2018. We've got about five months to go until the Brexit deadline hits. How much of these topics have actually been decided and hammered out between the United Kingdom and the European Union so far? Yeah, on the surface, it's certainly they have uh, 
agreed on a lot of core principles, those principles that would govern that transition period. Unfortunately, a lot of the sticking point that remains uh, are not easily solved. Uh, The first and foremost would be how to treat Northern Ireland uh, in the event uh, in which you would have to have some sort of customs checks and the like, which currently uh, are not required when the UK is part of the EU. But should they leave, as they will, uh, it may require a border or some equivalent in Northern Ireland, which neither party, as a result of the historical uh, violence and concern associated between the two Irelands um, and fears that it might flare up, It's not sure both parties haven't really agreed on what that solution would look like. It's not easily solvable. And of course, a physical border between the Irelands would likely violate the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, which really was credited with ending a lot of the violence that we saw in Ireland. Yes, it's largely uh, responsible for that, exactly. And no one wants to go back to that. So what are some of the other sticking points that they're still trying to work through right now? Sure. So uh, beyond trade, um, it would be related to issues related to services, that is to say immigration or the free movement of people. Uh, As you can imagine, London being a large financial center throughout Europe, uh, it's a pretty systematically important area of business for the broader EU area. And the ability of workers to go back and forth, of the UK to attract talent, uh, and not the least of which the regulatory sort of disparity that could occur when the UK leaves the EU uh, is another big sticking point. Um, so those are, those are some of the, the, the biggest ones currently. So that's the soft Brexit. What does a hard Brexit look like? And what are some of the impacts on the economy or markets more broadly? What are some of the impacts on, say, UK GDP or the European Union? So they're definitely a little bit more painful for the UK, at least those that do this type of analysis. If you hear somebody from the IMF or the World Bank making estimates on this topic, the impact to the UK GDP would be on the order of about 1.5%. Uh, annually. So in that first year after, it could result in a UK recession. On the European side of things, because of that trading relationship being a smaller portion of the overall EU economy, it could result in a simple slowdown of the EU economy rather than an outright recession. I think it's important, though, to note that in a broader sense, we don't think that this event, a hard Brexit, Uh, or even the hardest of hard Brexits, is likely to create a global slowdown or a global bear market. That's really just just not large enough, if you will, in the overall scheme of things to derail this bull market as we see it. So a Brexit may have some impact on the UK economy, and it may have some impact on the EU economy, although smaller on a relative basis. But when you compare it to the global scale, the world economy being, of course, in 2018, around $80 trillion, the impact of Brexit just pales in comparison. That's right. Again, going back to those uh, numbers in an absolute sense, the IMF would estimate that the UK economy would take about a $400 billion hit, to your point, relative to the $80 trillion global economy, probably not sufficient in scale to derail things. How does 
trade and immigration work for the UK and the EU post a hard Brexit scenario? So as I had hinted at, the, the solutions aren't necessarily very clear, but I think maybe by way of an analogy, you get a sense of how things might work on uh, March 30th, 2019, when the UK is outside the EU, again, assuming that there's no no deal or no agreement uh, to govern things at that point. It's, as we said, called a hard Brexit. And it would be like if you're in California and you decided to go visit Vegas, you may, would you need a passport? Possibly. Let's say that you were going to Chicago for work from California. Would you need a work visa from Illinois to work that week while you're there? Probably. Not the least of which, the trade disruptions that could occur between the two parties uh, are pretty significant, right? Right now, there's no border, there's no physical customs between the EU nations and the UK, and that would need to be put in place. There would be no agreement to cover that trade immediately. And so it would revert, all that trade would revert to something they refer to as WTO rules or World Trade Organization rules. Both the EU and the UK, for lack of a trade agreement on March in, in late March 2019, would revert to these rules and require some degree of customs checks, some degree of tariff assessment on both imports and exports. Now, neither of those are very extreme, 2 3 4% on exports and imports in terms of tariffs, so nothing egregious. Uh, in fact, it's pretty similar to terms that the United States trades with the EU today. The biggest challenge is the operational one. On day one, there are no customs borders, there is no customs officials, there's no checks, and the potential for long disruptions and long lines to enter the UK with goods or vice versa from the UK to the EU could cause more operational disruptions, uh, and those would be probably pretty painful at the get-go, uh, and over time probably survive, uh, subside over the coming weeks and months. And on that note, both parties have actually said that they will try to mitigate any negative impacts for UK or EU citizens currently traveling between the two country or the two blocks with some emergency measures, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I think what we're seeing a lot on both sides is a lot of uh, brinksmanship. That is to say that the both, both parties believe it's in their negotiating interest to push this closer to the end. Um, but should it come down to that quote-unquote worst-case scenario of a no-deal hard Brexit, it's very likely to expect that both parties would pass emergency legislation that would reduce the impact in those early days. It's not to suggest that it would be very simple or very pain-free, um, but it would probably limit that worst-case scenario that you many times hear bandied about. Said differently, it would really take malicious intent on the parties or on both sides uh, of the channel to create a, that worst-case scenario uh, post-Brexit in a hard uh, situation. So just thinking about markets and how they react to uncertainty, obviously Brexit right now creates a lot of uncertainty. One could actually argue that the conclusion of Brexit, whether you whether the UK and the EU end up going the soft Brexit route or the hard Brexit route, you could actually argue that the markets have much more, much more certainty 
following March 29th. Now, there could still be some interim volatility associated with either scenario, but in the longer term, it's likely a pretty good thing that this cloud of uncertainty with Brexit still doesn't continue to weigh on stocks. I mean, that's very true, right? When you think about the simple fact that uh, come March 2019, we're going to have an answer, uh, and this will be behind us. Unfortunately, to your point, it may require, or excuse me, it may create quite a bit of headwinds to sentiment on the UK markets and on the UK economy more broadly. Uh, The reality is that the UK economy, though, seems to be doing pretty well since the vote. It remains to be seen whether or not that can continue post-Brexit in, again, a situation where it's a pretty extreme event. Um, But to your point, our estimation is that in some ways, It'd be nice to almost rip this Band-Aid off, for lack of a better term. That's not to suggest it won't be without pain, but in some respects, as capital markets would then look beyond that and say, okay, that's behind us, now let's look look forward, uh, that might in some ways reduce some of that uncertainty and those headwinds to UK stocks and the economy. So you touched on this a little bit earlier. You mentioned the fundamental strength that we're seeing in the economies in the EU and the UK. Let's go into those a little bit. What are some of the things that you're looking at that indicate fundamental strength in the UK moving forward that investors have largely either ignored or underappreciated? Sure. So some of the common, uh, most common fundamental factors we might uh, identify, right? We got 22 straight quarters of GDP growth in the UK, despite these headwinds that have been with us over the last couple of years. If you look at things like Purchasing Managers Index, which is a good indicator of economic activity in the UK, those remain positive, Um, particularly robustness in the services Purchasing Managers Index, uh, which has been growing at a a decent clip throughout 2017 and 2018, despite these headwinds. And services make up 80% of the GDP, excuse me, 80% of the uh, UK economy. And so we would really focus on that one to see if there's any negative impact from these types of events. That's not to suggest that there's nothing concerning in the UK economy, right? Of course, there's been headwinds to business investment, to construction investment, right? If you think about you're a long-term investor in the UK, maybe coming from overseas or even a domestic investor, are you going to build that project? Are you going to make that investment in the plant or equipment in the UK, given the uncertainty? We've seen a little bit of a fundamental deterioration of that, but It's been relatively modest given the headline negative sentiment, if you will, on the UK economy. Over time, back to our conversations before, a lot of that uncertainty as it lifts after the spring 2019 event, you could see a lot of that come back. And that could be a a, a nice boost offsetting some of the risks, particularly in a soft Brexit scenario. No conversation about Brexit can really be complete without a conversation or at least touching on Prime Minister Theresa May. What's going on with Theresa May and what are her job prospects look like with Brexit going on and depending on which direction this heads? Well, Naj, I think that's the uh, $64,000 or maybe we should say pound question about what happens to Prime Minister May in all of this and does she keep her job? I think it's easy to say that she probably has one of the toughest jobs any politician uh, could have. Really 
unwinding 40 years of a relationship with the EU, and maybe even longer, depending on how you're defining it. How we got here, right? Remember that Miss May was elected in the summer of 2017 under the auspices of being able to consolidate power amongst the conservative party in anticipation of being able to negotiate a good deal for the UK as part of the Brexit uh, situation. The reality was her party lost power, and so now she's in the almost untenable position of being able to create a good result for the UK, but then also a result that can get through Parliament and ultimately become law. And so there's been a lot of understandable infighting within the Tory party, the Conservative Party, uh, given their very slight majority, it's really not an easy task. In fact, going back to the conversation we had earlier about the challenges of the Irish border, the Conservative Party has a majority government, but only by way of the Northern Irish MPs, members of parliament. If she creates the condition of a unfavorable result for those Northern Irish MPs, she can't even get a Brexit deal done. So we get into the situation where, in fact, this week, the UK, excuse me, the Conservative Party has had their annual summit, uh, and you can see the disconnect and the discord within the party. It remains to be seen whether or not she can govern beyond Brexit or does she fulfill her role as prime minister and see this through to March 2019 and then perhaps give up power to someone else? It would be even more concerning if for some reason the Conservative Party decided to remove her or overthrow her between now and March 2019. All of the work that she's put in really would be for naught and the country would be thrown into a bit more disarray. So it's most likely that she retains power through Brexit, and then the party decides what to do at that point. Um, but I'll say this, I, I do not envy uh, the position she's been in and will continue to be in for, for the foreseeable future. Nor do I. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you all very much for tuning in. For more, please visit marketminder.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2018.